I wonder how many other people have spent time wondering why Porsche didn't make it my nine three two. I, I think all, most of the people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Collecting Addicts podcast. Nearly half a year of us wasting our time so you can waste your time. Okay, (laughs) topics this week. The car you most wish a manufacturer had made, but they never did. I'm going to go straight to Chris Cooper because he's on holiday and he's drunk a bottle of Lady Petrol. So hopefully he's going to dribble at us now. Yeah. There's a lot to get through. There's a lot to get through. So, how many cars is he allowed to name? Oh God, don't worry about him. Just we'll stop him when we want to. Is there a noise somewhere? Can someone hear a noise? <laughs> I'm doing two. <laughs> any car? Oh, I got four. Any car? <laughs> any car that came with standard privacy glass and you couldn't de-spec it? Yeah. Anything from a Golf GTI. You know, a Golf GTI, you can have two specks of tinted, of privacy drug dealer glass, a little bit druggy and fully gone. Anyway, uh, the Galanda wagon, yeah, yeah. that'd be nice to that. But, but, um, you can do E60. that, by the way. If you, if you write a letter to them, they'll send oh, you the glass from Gratz and you have to fit it in Mercedes Benz UK. Yeah, I'd I know. Who's, that's no use to anybody. It's expensive. Well. E60, E60 M5 V10 needed a manual gearbox or a DCT. The E46 CSL definitely needed a manual gearbox. Can I stop you there? They did do an E60 for the States and I've driven it. It's shit. Was it shit? If he takes all of our options, he's, he's got bold position <laughs> here. He better not fuck us up for all of us. He, okay. He's, got, right. he's done okay. two of mine already. Cut to the chase. Cut to the chase. Yeah. Cut to the chase. Yeah. Um, I've got two mine things. The best. I've got one thing to show you. One thing to show you. What's the- are you showing us a picture of little Chris? That's an Audi, or what is it? It's a 90, there's a, I found on Instagram, somebody's done some AI-generated, what would a 1972 Audi 100 all-road look like? Oh, oh yes. Just the coolest thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. send the picture so we can yeah, put no, it up I'll on the screen while we're talking about it. I've seen it. It looks great. It looks really good. Um, so, but the one, um, so uh, actually. That's five. My, That's five. How many more do you want? So my wine waste this evening is Cameron's going to bring this bottle in a minute. So he pointed out, I'd cut it in my mind. He pointed out. I hope he doesn't think he's Adrian Newey. No, he doesn't. Um, I said, yeah, exactly. In 2013, Porsche showed a 904 living legend concept. We'll put the picture up. Um, and it was allegedly supposed to have a flat eight motor in the middle or the back. So, I mean, it's hundreds of things that could have made that, you know, we, we never saw the W12 Nardo thing, the VW, the W12 engine without turbos. That was amazing. But the one I would, if I could only have one, because we've got the this idea. silly rule. That was the question in the first place. It's a silly rule, but I'm going to have one. It would be that 2013 904 living legend with flat eight. I mean, just, oh. Well, you know what? You've, irritatingly, you've happened across a great answer, but the way you got there was you've let yourself down. Right, <laughs> Neil, Neil Clifford. Right, I'm keeping this simple. Two, two cars that I would definitely 100% have bought if they existed. And I'm, I'm curious why Porsche never did a 993 turbo cab 
because actually they did cabs yeah. on all of the turbos, 930, 964, 996, 997, 991, 992. There's a gap there in 993 cab. And what a fantastic car that would be because, A, the 993 turbo is a fantastic car. But you imagine it as a cabriolet. Be pretty damn good, wouldn't it? You get the little, the little um, holes in the sides, the little Turbo S options. Get the sports exhaust on the back. Do a funky color. I'll be a king car, wouldn't it? So that, I think a few of them have been made, though, haven't they? they they've have. been, they've they, been butchered post line. Yeah, I think it would look odd. No, it wouldn't look odd. That's because it just doesn't exist. If it exists, Porsche don't fuck things up like that. If they'd done it, it would look great. There's Not like a Roma convertible. Cars. Can I just can I just say one thing, Bill Clifford? I've been looking for a sentence that summarizes the essence of this podcast. And I think you you've just got there by by delivering with a straight face. I often wonder why they didn't make a 993 Turbo Cabriolet. <laughs> I wonder how many other people have spent time wondering why Porsche didn't make a 993 Turbo. I, I think all, most of the people that listen to this podcast have the same question. I haven't. <laughs> And if they, if they haven't, then I'm they glad they didn't think harder about it's the a, It's a delicious, the delicious observation, and I'm, yeah. I'm very pleased you made it. But but that isn't my choice. The car oh, that right. I really, done it as well. The car that I really, and it goes back to Q cars of last week. Yeah, this is big Q car territory. Yeah, it is Q car territory. The, 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 the modern, but the first gen Maserati Quattroporte manual touring. Oh, yeah. What a cute car that would be, because that's yeah. a beautiful car, super underrated. Why have yeah. we all got one? They're 10 grand on eBay. They're 15 grand for the good ones. Fantastic car. Not the, the They fucked up the look of it when they started to mess around with the looks, the original Pinaferina one. But imagine that in a Touring. Yeah. Manual, navy blue, Coyo, debadged, mega yeah. car. No one would know what that was, would they? No one would know. You know, I'm, I'm sure the bloody Sultan of Brunei's got seven of them they'd, that he spent get, nine they'd, million They get a really good look at the rear three quarter of it as they drove past it, broke down on the M40. That you'd see a, <laughs> you'd get a good oh, no, look at the no, lines. No, no, no. You're, you're being cynical again. Let's be optimistic. It wouldn't break down because you'd have spent forty-seven thousand <laughs> at Dick Lovett having it serviced. <laughs> Oh, dear. Those those are my two, and I really, really wish they both existed. There's something in that touring thing. We could could do a whole podcast on tourings or sport wagons they didn't make. Yes. Bentley Continental GT, proper XJS, not the... I'm going to chunk you that. When you're sober in the morning, you tell me if you could do an hour and ten minutes on that. I don't think... I could. I could do it now. (laughs) Okay. Manish, Manish, do me a favour. Save us, please. Well, you know, my, my dream thing is I wish all 3,000 Ferrari 456s were manual. It's <laughs> <laughs> just got me out of M. so much trouble. But should I tell you the car that I wish had become a production car? I thought about this slightly more lateral take. It was, um, <clears throat> do you remember the Alfa Romeo Carabo? That beautiful green mm-hmm. wedge with the little orange mouth. And um, yep. I, I found yep. it was a t- Paris Motor Show 1968. And what I didn't know, you know, consulting Auntie Google, was that um, it was called a Carabo because it's based on the Carabidae beetle, which is a luminescent green with lovely orange markings. So this car 
it's nine. I just it's nine hundred and eighty millimeters tall. When our grass was longer than that two weeks ago, it's, it's like just, a Pinaferina modulo. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's, yeah. it's Bertone. It's Bertone. It's a, it's a wedge. It's a wedge. It's the ultimate wedge. But what I didn't also know, it's basically an, <clears throat> on the chassis of an Alpha 33 Stradale. Mm. It's a two-liter engine, Stunning. not just small. So, you know what? I wish they'd built one of those because that... I'm sure just... you could convert one, man. It's a nice, cheap base car, the old 33 Stradale. Yeah. <laughs> Cheaper than your 456 <laughs> re-upholstery. I started with a $10 million car. <laughs> And with the expense of three and a half thousand pounds of various plastic molding, I have this. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think that's a fantastic. I've now I've had one of those moments where I think it's a great answer. I'm thinking, should I have looked at more concept cars that weren't made into reality? But I've always had a bit of a thing about concept cars. I love them, but I don't take them too seriously. No, 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 you can't. Um, but this this thing is it's just so yeah. iconic. And of course. Oh, it's, 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 Three years later, he builds a Countach, you know, and you could argue. Yeah. So, so Monkey, you won't like it when Edward says the Ferrari pin in. Well, he's going to, isn't he? I don't think yeah. he is. Edward, Hergé's Edward. What do you want to do today? Right. I've got quite a few. Oh, but, for God's sake. But, but, but I've got quite a few. But hold on a sec. One of them, which I'll give you last, is the ultimate answer, which you're all going to agree to immediately. However, my Give first answer... Like, before, you start, before you start, can you not put your hand up like that? Because it looks like one of those bow selector characters that's got massive arms. Fine. The perspective. Thank you. Um, so my first, my first one is a sarcastic one, is why couldn't Ferrari make a 50 grand 812 GTS? Because I'd, I'd buy one of those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, my, my second answer is the last generation... Um, 991 gt2 rs that they made into a 935 why couldn't have they made the road car look like that and they would have sold thousands Brilliant. and thousands yeah, of them cool. because yeah, it looks be nice. bloody brilliant yeah it does. um the bentley flying spur uh current model i think's a handsome looking car that in a state form oh, yeah. um is yeah. that that is a car for life um, and as as Chris just touched on the Porsche 904, obviously Porsche uh, around their birthdays have been unveiling all of these cars they never made, these concept cars. They might as well make all of those because you know they, they could sell as many as they they all look bloody brilliant. But the ultimate answer is a GT3 with rear seats. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Why didn't yeah. I think of that? You can do it. You can do it, but not legally. Yeah, but. You'd want it done properly. That's what you're but saying. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, it's not, you, you wouldn't, you know, you'd never forgive yourself if you had an accident and uh, you weren't paid out because you modified a car that's not meant for rear seats that had rear seats. So, you know, it's got, legally, the, it's, got the, it's got the holes in the back. You can do it. Do you, you so, think you can do that legally, do you? It, well, there's a TUV approved one now that um, I think it's RPM do it. Um, do they? Yeah, they do a TUV approved kit that's done coming from Germany for a 991, certainly. And I presume they do it 992 as well. Uh, I think it's RPM that do it. Look them up on Google, but it's not cheap, but it is done properly. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. I think that's the great, the great the idea that someone that buys the GT3 doesn't want to use the unique uh, facility that a, a 911 offers is, is a bit baffling to me. But it's all about the the rear passenger strike on the on the bucket seat. They don't want to homologate the, the front seat to take the impact from the rear. So therefore, it, it would cost another couple hundred million quid to get the car sorted like that. So they leave it as a two-seater just because of the bucket seat. Um, 
which is interesting. Mm. Well, there's obviously there's obviously a big session on concept cars to go on to on another on another podcast. Yeah, but I think you're right there. Right. I, I mean, you, Chris Cooper's covered most of them on his own, uh, and uh, need to help. Has left slim pickings for the rest of us. But I think there's one car that you've missed that I I loved, and I don't know. I think Pininfarina designed it. It was a bit smelly, and it got shut down by our friends uh, at the Scuderia. Uh, and that was about 12 years ago. Someone decided to reimagine a modern Stratos. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah. And it looked, it was based on a 430 scooter. 430. Yeah. And I reckon one of those with a manual gearbox, that's just an amazing looking vehicle. I've always been a bit, a bit curiously obsessed with Stratos's. And I think a modern interpretation of a Stratos with a manual gearbox based on a 430 Scud, I'm, I'm kind of into that. That would be sensational. Um, that would be Love that's cool. cool that's cool funny chris because you know at about the same time maybe in a tiny bit later there were all these sort of cgi sort of mock-ups of cars reimagined and somebody did a mura and yeah. i thought it was the ugliest piece of shit the reimagining you know yeah. just all the subtlety was wrong it was just the blob version you know but the Stratus was very, very pretty, wasn't it? Oh, it's gorgeous. And this really I mean, Tony Wedge. Google this reimagining version of it. It's really good. But mm. it's interesting that certainly as a journo, you do often get invited into the, the kind of the weird, ghoulish skunk works areas of car companies and some of the stuff they show you that they never made. You know, the uh, E34 five series convertible is one of the most bizarre cars I've ever seen. They made a three door five series M5 convertible. Which is, which is under the, they've got a museum under the factory in Garshing, and they've got some incredible Ooh. weirdo stuff under there. It's all, it's all um, like a bunch of cyborgs. Um, things like they made a seven, they made a 750i for Herr Richter, who was the then boss, um, with a E39M5 engine in it on, with, with a load nice. more power. They've got all the Karl Lagerfeld crazy stuff they made under there. They've got the E46 M3 pickup. They've got, I mean, just got some mega stuff. And I, I think that's in the back in the day when car companies weren't hurried and rushed, they used to let their engineers were allowed to go and make weird and wonderful stuff just to keep themselves amused. And I think that's where a load of the creativity of these car companies came. You know, the, the Countach wouldn't have existed, but for that thing that manager just pointed out. And that probably <laughs> happened because someone said, go on, spend a month doing that. Whereas these days they have to spend all their time calibrating hybrid systems. Yeah. And I think that creativity thing is really interesting and it's not for now, but we could probably come back to it some other time is the creativity or, or lack of it in the resto mod idea. Everyone would have seen this week, mm. the Singer 9345, mm. Mm. which I'm really torn on. I like the orange color, um, but is that the right direction or is it lacking creativity or is it creative in way? So, Perhaps we'll come back to that. But I think that sort of the creativity of the, what you talked about, I think is really interesting in terms of stuff that we can all imagine that wasn't built. There's a big cue card. Neil, as you and I have said, there's a big cue card to mention in there. And lots of my ideas. I've got dozens more if we're bored. Um, <laughs> a bit cue car-ish. You know, you know, 95% of the stuff that we write, you know, when we do any film or TV, I mean, literally 95% of what we write, the first assembly of whatever we put together sits on the floor. It's all about having a go and um, seeing what works. And you only ever learn from what doesn't work or well, what kind of almost shoes, works. How many shoes and handbags that I look at on a daily basis? <laughs> yeah. And they don't all come to fruition. No. 
And how, but how often, how often do you look back and think that one would have sold really well? Why didn't we make it? We don't never have the time to look back, really. No, it might come get, in a year's time when we say, "Go through those bins over there." I'm sure that loafer with the you know the logo on the back. I'm sure we did that. So we do we do hunt and rummage through things we've done before. Is it yeah. true that you're working on an experimental Edward Lovett loafer that's got a very silent soul because he likes creeping up on behind people? <laughs> I couldn't discuss it. It's in. <laughs> Yeah, it's skunk works. I think that's a yes. <laughs> now then, let's go. We're going to call it, it the Clive. A, a very, very <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, right. Um, Marmite cars. Um, for those of us that are not listening in the UK, we have a yeast extract based spread called Marmite <laughs> that divides opinion in this country. You either love it or you don't. I happen to absolutely adore it, especially the chili one. If you can get hold of that, the limited edition chili one, it is absolutely bonzo. Oh, I'm not aware of that. No, am no, I? You probably buy it on eBay, Edward. It's quite expensive. Um, the, I'm, a bo- I'm a Bovril man myself. The, oh, my God. Get thee to a nunnery. Uh, <laughs> right, so I I reckon um, I reckon that Marmite's Mar- Mar- a great description of, of stuff that it, it just polarises. We're talking black or white. So this is the first in an occasional series of Marmite cars. We might segue into Marmite people at some point, but let's start um, <laughs> uncontroversially with Marmite cars. And our first victim for the day is, drumroll please, the Land Rover Defender. Uh, a couple of us here are strong advocates of the car. A couple of us aren't. Let's start with Neil Clifford. Well, it's like driving around in a Union Jack. You've, <laughs> you've got to love the Defender. Yeah. I don't think you can love our country and dislike the Defender. I mean, and you mean the, origin, the original of course, Defender? Yeah. I mean, we, we can discuss the new one. I think it's, 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 it's pretty good, particularly in short wheelbase form. I think it's, it's decent looking. But I think we're talking about the original Defender. We're talking about 1951 or whatever, 48 all the way through to whatever, 2017, aren't we, or something? So something it's, like it's, you know, it lasted a long, long time. I think that. I was thinking about this because I knew Chris was going to come with a pretty forceful argument of disliking the Defender and saying how shit it is. But that isn't the point. It's clearly quite a shit car. That's not the point. The point is it's full of character. So are you going to fall in love with a perfect person or are you going to fall in love with someone with character? And I think... It is brimming with character, one of the most characterful cars. I'm sure we will discuss the 2CV at this point, at some point in the future, Mr. Harris, I'm sure. But I think, for me, I compare it to the Top Trump's discussion we had about fast cars. It doesn't matter that if you buy a car that's worth does 200 miles an hour and it doesn't do it. The fact that the Defender is, it's a survival car. It's a Mad Max car. For me, it's a Rambo car. I want to feel when I'm driving along that if there's a tornado on the A41 or a flood, I'm going to survive. So I think it is quite, maybe it's a male thing, this, but I think the fact that it will survive anything, you could drive up Mount Everest, you could drive through the Thames if you had to. I think it's all about what the car could do if it had to, as opposed to what you actually do in it. 
So that's my angle on the Defender. And you feel very protected when you're driving this thing. It's also lovely sometimes just to drive slow. Yeah. Right? We don't all want to be driving on the speed limit, particularly when we're maybe some of us are at three points or six points or nine points, and maybe that's a discussion for some point in the future. It's just lovely to potter along at 40 in a 60 and don't care that people are overtaking you. That is the defender. Okay. I think that's a considered defence of the Land Rover Defender. Manish, where do you sit? On which side of the fence do you fall? (laughs) Oh, I fall very much on Neil's side of the fence. I think um, a good friend of mine used to say that um, one thing about flying British Airways and its pomp was no matter where you went and did business around the world, once you walked into the cabin and you sat down, you were home. And um, I love that description. I think a defender's exactly that. Um, you see them around the world, and they are just one thing. They're home, aren't they? It's just home. It's home abroad. My um, in-laws, when um, they bought this beautiful sort of farm, it was a plantation house in Tobago in the early 70s, the thing they bought with it, there was no telephones in Tobago at the time. You used to have to telex people to let them know you were coming. There was no actual, the, the, the house didn't even have a working fridge at the time. But what it did have was a beautiful white Defender. It still works. So the thing is, what, 48 years old? It's beautiful. It goes up hills. It comes down hills. It never needs to go very, very quickly. And my abiding memory, actually, of my... um father-in-law whom I lost very very recently is him sitting on the back with the tail down in his sort of cowboy hat in the sun as this thing's reversing down an almost one in one hill driven by this fantastic local carpenter with his legs hanging off and me going don't fall off don't fall off and thinking you know what that is a car yeah it is a car it's it's just a little bit of us everywhere everywhere you you can't it's interesting you almost can't treat it as a car i mean i mean you know i I suggested this topic because um in parks i monkey i know you you're not a big fan and clarkson quite famously recently in some other part of the internet said he hates this idea of a defender um you can't treat it as a car it's sort of a piece of agricultural equipment if you treat it as a piece of agricultural equipment it's surprisingly satisfying. Why drive it on the fucking road then? Because it's it because it's wonderful. Because oh. it it's got huge character. It's it's actually an awful lot of car in the space. I mean, you're putting aside the turning circle, which is super tanker esque. Um, my one is uh, ninety nine TD five. First the TD fives. So it's got twelve seat belts inside. It's got the sort of the inward facing rear seats. Twelve people you can put in it. Quite a small footprint, much smaller than anything else. And it's just got huge character. It's Everybody loves it. I mean, people will laugh at this, but, you know, mm. I, I came down here in it last week. Uh, Cameron and I came down there. And we ended up, we were waving at people who had other Land Rovers. Some people don't wave. The modern defenders, they don't understand it. But you would sort of, you know, little sort of, you know, finger raised, just raise one wing, one oh, finger off the steering wheel. It's, it's not flash. <laughs> It's not ostentatious. I'm, I'm sort of... I'm Hello, fellow xenophobe. How are you? 
It's not classless. It's classless. Yeah. It's classless, it's well, status. And Chris, they look so, I think they look wonderful. And they look wonderful. The aesthetics they of do, a defender. Do. It's just. It, yeah, it's not logical. The aesthetics are entirely subjective. So, I mean, yeah, it's not logical. But it's got uh, and oh, Neil is right. It's huge living. character. Hang out with beautiful actors, and, and I, it's got. Well, I know what beautiful is. Yeah, everybody who. Sorry, who you, so you, so Manish, you, you are the arbiter of what beautiful is. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well there we go. That's that's decided that then. Sorry, carry <laughs> on. No, I just it it's everybody. It creates goodwill. It's not fast. It's one of the few cars today that if you try and hustle it. It really doesn't like it. You can't hustle it. But there is a speed. You need to get an LS1 in yours. Yeah, see, I don't get that at all. I, I don't, don't get that at all. I that's don't just, either. It's just like, that. you know, that'd be like exhuming the Queen Mother. It'd just be, no, no, it just wouldn't do it. The worst you know, everyone here again, but no. this has been unremittingly positive. Please don't tell me that you're a part of the pro-defender campaign. Yeah. Well, I am. Let me let me tell you a little little, little story. Um, so obviously, I ha- I have a family that sells new cars for a living. Do you? And never said that. And up until about six years ago, that family never sold Jaguar Land Rover. So obviously, you can't have a Land Rover in a family or or anything from any other brand. So when my mother said at a dinner table about fifteen years ago. Quite nice to have something different. I fancy a fancy a VW Beetle. Your mother was Babs Windsor. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we did. We did. We bought. And I'm I'm trying to think how long ago it was. It's about twelve years ago. So before we were a Land Rover dealer, off a family friend, we bought a 2003 green Defender 110. And in that era, it, obviously, the rear seats, there were four rear seats facing each other, which yeah, is really important six. because yeah, you couldn't, you know. you, the, uh, after two, from 2004 onwards, you couldn't have that. It was just yeah. two seats in the back. And, you know, the cars got rust bubbles everywhere now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've had it chipped, so it goes a little bit faster. But As opposed been, to if you been, lose it, it you get it back. It, no, but it's the it's the car that's taken our dogs down to Cornwall. It's the car that I've gone shooting in. It's the car that we've taken out to the paddocks on bonfire night with, with the drinks, and the kids can sit in the back and watch yep. the fireworks. Yeah, it's the car that's taken the kids down to the beach in Cornwall. Yeah, um, so, it, it, so it's it's the ideal thirteenth car, something like that, no. something like that. But I just it just it's, it's a but also. Car. But also out of out of the cars that my family are fortunate enough to have had or have, it's the car that anyone can get in, anyone can use and abuse. No one cares if it's clean or dirty or whatever. And it's probably the last car my mother would now ever sell. Yeah, I love yeah. your mum. I love yeah. your mum. Yeah, and and um, I I, I now share that, that, that affection for that for that particular car. Brilliant. Um, right. I've Chris, got, um, you no, miserable I, I, bastard, you can finish us off. Come on. <laughs> so, so I think I, I really believe in that in, in icons and I believe that we should be patriotic. And I totally acknowledge the fact that the silhouette of the Defender or the Land Rover, as it was always known, is something that this country should have been proud of. 
Uh, it just lived too long, that's all. Um, and I, I also think that because of that moral responsibility within a country that is at the moment struggling with identity and with knowing what it's going to be, its place is going to be in the world in the next half century, we do cling on to these icons probably a, a bit too... Um, a bit too closely. Is there any country that doesn't do that, Chris? I mean, you know, we, we're always supposed to... I'm not saying there wasn't another country doing that. I'm making, observation, I'm, making observation, I'm making the observation that we are doing that. I'm not saying exclusive to us. I didn't say that. Um, I also think that... Um, what it, it's interesting hearing people talk about it. I think there's a series of phrases that people feel obliged to say about the defender, which which not don't always stand up to scrutiny. So I've written down some of the things you guys have said about the cars. So you, you can't love our country without loving the defender. Nobody actually said that. Uh, Neil I, I did. Um, I, did I, I, I love our country, but I, I don't love the defender. <laughs> um, I think, I also think, I think, uh, and I've, I'm someone that's definitely been um, the victim of this and the beneficiary of this. We sometimes offset too much badness through the word character. A lot of people say, I've got character, but I'm not very nice. And I think the defender... Yeah, but you are. That's the I whole point. That, I think you the are. Defenders, yeah, those, you love doing the curmudgeon the, thing. The defender, the defender sadly, um, isn't very good to drive. My big problem is this. I, I agree with Neil when he says I like driving slowly, but I like to drive slowly in something that's actually enjoyable to drive. The defender is an instrument of torture. No. I am a very, very small... <laughs> I'm a, I let you talk, Cooper. Um, I'm a very, very small man. All right. And I just don't fit in the bloody things. My right elbow smashing against there. It's got the turning circle of a, of a channel ferry. Yep. It's just unpleasant. Anyhow, to show you how committed I was to trying to prove myself that I was wrong, in 2008 or nine, I ordered and bought a brand new 110 Defender. And I had this romantic idea, like you guys, that it was going to be a part of the family. It's going to be like a Labrador that lived with us all its life. And my kids were going to learn to drive it. And after six months, we just fucking hated it it was just a bad car that you couldn't turn around in the school car park it it was really slow and smelly it was just it was just not fit for purpose really and i also think i have to be very careful about this 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 notion of it of the defender engendering goodwill i think particular types of defender engender goodwill so i reckon the ones that lurk around farms and that you see abroad manage is quite right when i see a defender abroad I always, there's a bit of me that goes, oh, God, I like that. That's a bit of Britain. I'm very proud of that. But I'm not sure the blacked out ones that... No, definitely not. I'm totally with it. you on that. And, sure. and, actually, yeah. and actually, there's an awful lot of those now. Yeah, I, I, I don't... And actually, when Neil was talking, I thought I'd almost exclude anything that was right at the end of line. And all of the, we all know who they are. Those aftermarket people who are improving them. Then that's, that's not what we're talking I think about. There's a, and I think there's a sense that in some ways... The defenders, and I use this phrase carefully because Chris Cooper invented it, the defenders' core competencies have <laughs> been misappropriated by a load of people. You know, I don't what what it's brilliant at doing, it never does. No. And I, I think that's a bit disappointing. Even a 911 that's driven by someone that can't drive occasionally gets the chance to do what it can do. But a defender that just drives around town with blacked out windows and massive wheels and what have you. I just don't get it. And I fundamentally, I don't enjoy driving them. And I, there's lots of other cars that are really slow that I really enjoy driving. But I just don't enjoy driving Defenders. I'd far rather have something else. But I, one thing I do love 
is I love trying to understand why other people love stuff that I can't get. And I see all of you waving at each other and I think, I don't get this. There's a joke going on here that I don't understand. But it's um, it's amazing to hear you speak with such passion. Well, I, I, think I will back you up on the driving thing if you're doing it for any long period. Obviously, Chris has just driven down to Cornwall from London, which is total fucking madness. He should have driven something else yeah but, but, but when, when you drive back to calais to get on the channel tunnel and you you see people heading towards Rennes in a defender and it's normally four or six up some young kids and you know they're off to the alps and you think they're gonna fucking regret that, yeah, I'm not sure I do that. Yeah. especially if you're the if you're in a 90 in the back seats <laughs> it's, it's interesting I, I mean chris i totally agree with everything you've said and yet yeah. And and yet, and that's why it's the Marmite thing. That's why it's such an interesting question, because I still feel a love for it. And I, it's like, um, Edward, your mum, I think we'd never sell it. Um, it's got a very, very narrow window on a motorway. It's dreadful because it's so noisy and it's so drafty and there's nothing to do to stop it being noisy. 55 miles an hour on a good A road is sort of OK. But there is a perverse pleasure and satisfaction to be had from making it sort of flow. Any car, we may talk about this one day, why do we love driving? What is it about the act of driving we love? And how does that manifest in different kinds of vehicles, whether it's a tractor or a Porsche 911 or a Land Rover? And with a Defender, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a narrow little bit where you can make it sort of flow. And there's sort immense pleasure it. to be had from that. <laughs> Well, this is the beauty of, of opinion, isn't it? This is the beauty is. of Armite. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I'm completely in the minority. That Look at the number of people that love these things. And also look at the prices of them. I mean, if you've got some old rust bucket, they're like £30,000, £40,000 now, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. yes really and no. Big. And yeah, it's interesting. Up a lot. It, it's interesting. And I think this is an interesting, maybe it's a social commentary, but there's a split between. So the one I've got, which is 24 years old this year, hasn't really gone up much in value since I bought it in 2011. Whereas some of the last aligned ones now, you see them, I'm seeing them collecting cars. They go for extraordinary amounts of money. They're heritage really models. Good right value I've, I've got a heritage from 99 and that hasn't budged really very much at all. You so, can get good value on collecting cars. You're right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Edward. <laughs> no, no, no. Neil bought one. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I, I, I wish I had the one that he bought. That, <laughs> you, know, that you bought. It's lovely. I bought two on collecting cars, and there's a really yeah. funny story that cannot be told on this podcast to one of them. <laughs> I, I think they are, yeah, they're, they're a remarkable vehicle. And I, I remember many years ago being asked to define how many genuinely iconic vehicles are there on the planet. And there really aren't many when you when you try and whittle it down yeah. and there's no doubt that vehicle earns its place on that list and that has to be acknowledged it really does um but well, when they other cars were designed on an etch-a-sketch no no it's yeah. it's 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 bonkers yeah. um, well okay i think we've marmited out but that, I, i've been debate. completely outnumbered there and i've had to get on the front foot to batter you lot down because you're fucking doing me over right here we go now this is something that that came to mind um to me actually in the last couple of days Modes of communication between drivers that are hand gestures, thank yous, um, goodbyes, trying to be polite, are and always have been baffling to me. So I want my dear friends and panel here to help me try and 
work my way through the sludge and the slime of, of and just the general confusion I have around how are you supposed to say thank you to people? Should you keep saying thank you four or five times afterwards? You know, when does the, when do the thank yous end? Should you just not say, say, say thank you to people? What are your most frustrating moments on the road? What are the areas that you think you don't understand or that, or that you, you feel you're the only person that gets it and everyone else is wrong? How does it work? Ed would love it. I'm not sure when the first sort of signal was acknowledged that like one this matching vehicles did it, but there was something and I'm sure they did it on um, Curb the Enthusiasm in America when they had the Prius nod and uh, Larry David was walking around <laughs> doing the, the, the Prius nod. Um, but I, I didn't get into motorbikes till quite late. And a motorbike is a thing that you all, you know, pretty much everyone does the little motorbike nod. And it's that, that's quite amusing. Even, even people going super fast still have chance <laughs> to get a quick nod in. Um, I, I, Jen, I, I, I am someone that identifies goodwill on, on the road. And, uh, I had to, I just had written a note down here that I almost became the guy that uh, does the opposite. But when I was driving home last night in central London, which is not made for all these four by fours, but in rush hour, it's quite a faff getting through the back lanes in London when some people want to give you space, some people want to duck in. But there was this young girl coming towards me last night. And I I knew she wasn't going to give up and she was coming for a gap that wasn't there. And I was and she had her window down and I put I put my window down about her, I'm not sure what I was going to say, but it wasn't something gentleman pleasant. And then I thought it says collecting cars on the side of my Land Rover <laughs> Fender. I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> That's a dash cam in her windscreen. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so if you might be thinking of uh, throwing some verbal abuse out the window, uh, do not do it if you have your company on the side of it. So no, just, you know, the cue car that Chris described last week, if you were in this sort of souped up dark grey Vauxhall, what would you have done? That's what I want to know. Don't answer that, um, Edward. He's thrown a banana skin under your feet, Edward. I've got yeah. my rubber it. hand. Don't answer it. Um, Neil Clifford, you, you are obviously um, a really kind man, and you want to see the good in all people. How does that translate into your road driving? I think the, the, the only anger I ever get, almost in life, is the, the no response thank you. Oh. Yes. You can oh. literally go from super happy yeah. way home you know the wife's cooked something lovely it's sunny hello sky hello trees all it, all is right for the world and then you get a no thank you get a you get a no response when you pulled over you can go instantly to 10 of fury, furious and and a lot of the words i can't even you know we say fuck a lot on this um podcast but you do it goes beyond fuck Sometimes when you want to abuse someone in your own little world, when you don't, <laughs> when you don't get the thank you. And my, actually, my wife is even worse. I asked her this question. She was, oh, the no thank you. The no thank you is so terrible. Just not getting that recognition. So I think it's very important for us all to make sure we do the thank you. It's a small courtesy. It's, it's really, really important. I'm sure there's been hideous amount of road rage by not just doing the thank you when you yep. should be doing it 
Um, I do like the little Volkswagen Beetle Defender Porsche, mainly air cooled. I don't think the water cooled guys have really got into it. Yeah, do get the acknowledgement. You know, we need to bring the water cooled guys into the gap. Lost cause. You know, in a thirty turbo or a three point two or an, you know an early short wheelbase or whatever, you do. You know, it's pretty. It's pretty regular. Um, Mini, I think Mini, you get it, don't you? Um, yep. So I think the the little individual gangs, I think that's quite cool. The what other- do you think two two fifty GTOs passing each other? Uh, what what would they do to each other? They both say, "I wish I had a two seven five. <laughs> it might be i might think I'm, I, I, might, I, I might think i'm cooler because it costs four yeah. times the price for 275 but it's not as pretty yeah um, <laughs> the, the other the other thing i saw last week which i loved because it's a sort of anti-establishment rebellious sort of almost communist italian way of life is the flashing your lights when there's a policeman doing the speed camera yeah and we that like in, that we like that, that that in italy is all over the show because you know there was quite a lot of guys policemen with their little their little guns on all the bridges even in sicily but you know what you get warned 15 miles up the road <laughs> yeah because no one, you know, in Italy paying tax, you're a bit stupid, aren't you? So the last thing you want to do is actually pay a fine to the police about speeding. So I thought that was really brilliant that you get total acknowledgement. Clearly, we've got the bloody fixed cameras here, so it's a bit more tricky. But I think that is a good nod. More flashing and warning about policemen, I think, is a good thing. We just on that. It does it, happen in the UK, doesn't it? I get warned right in Wales. I don't see the mobile guys much apart from that run down from Buckingham Palace down to um, Park Lane. You get yeah. that guy right at the end in the middle. You do um, still see it. And, and it's, most, many people watching this may, may know this. One of the original purposes of the motoring organisations, the RAC and the AA, um, they used to salute members. Yes. You see the badge and salute them. And, but if the, if the patrol, probably was a patrolman in those days, did not salute the member, this was the code to say there was a police person up the road about to oh, nab you over over Yeah, hidden. And oh. um, but of course, actually, technically, and I know we all observe this, technically warning another road user of a police person man up the road with a speed camera is technically perverting the course of justice. It is illegal. Um, somebody, um, one of those people on social media, the black belt barrister, I quite like him. Uh, he's very, very down to earth guy. So the black belt barrister, if you're watching this and if you are, thank you. Um, talk about it in the comments and give us some sort of feedback. But I think, so we all view that one with great sort of circumspection, but I, I think you're right, Neil. It's the, the no thank you, thank you. My um a big my problem. wife and my office manager related, they're sisters. And we either when either of them give me a lift to the station, we live, Monkey, you've been to it. And and Neil, you have you very kindly gave me a lift home from one of our events. And we live at the end of a very long single track road in countryside, not far from where Neil is. And there's a few passing places, so you have to give and take. And both my wife and her sister, who works with me. Um, are are zero to a hundred in naught seconds 
if when they've pulled in, if yours pull in or reverse to the parking space, and somebody comes up the road and they don't give the thank you, it's... Inst- oh, I think the female rage is much higher than the male rage on the... Oh, God. Oh, God. He said it. It's not just in the cars, Neil. <laughs> no, but, but the thing actually know, on, the, on the on the on the language on the language though just getting us out of this little hole i've dug for us on the language thing i have this concept called fast friend so it's that we've all had it where you're making progress somewhere on a long journey a303 is a good one where you've got a bit of dual carriageway bit of single carriageway sometimes not great lane discipline but you sort of either catch up with somebody or somebody catch up with you. Oh, and yes, you can just tell from their body language on the road that they want to make progress, but they want to cooperate. They don't want to race you. They want to cooperate. And we love that because it's, it's positive. It's helpful. It's optimistic. And there's that sort of almost just like the sort of, if they let you out, you just give one ping on the hazard flashes to say, thank you. Oh, or I one like ping. And when you peel that. off, because mm. at some point in the journey, one of you is going to peel off. You go, you go the left or right on the M25. And you give a little. That bit you think, I've no idea who you are. I've only just met you. I'll never see you again. But there's something about enjoying the journey and making progress and sharing the making of progress with another road user. I had it. Goodbye, right? You'd say, do the goodbye. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Goodbye. Totally. I love it. (laughs) I love it. So I think that's a, I don't know whether that's a peculiarly British thing. Be interesting to hear from people. It, it's parts. not the number of times I've driven down through South of France and you and in Italy as well. You'll get love a little subtle, just one 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 nod on the hazards when you've got yeah, our exactly four, just one ping five hundred miles or something. Yeah, I love that. Nice that. Well, I I think um, I only had a moment of wondering whether I was getting this completely wrong because, like you, my my trigger is the no thank you thank you. I'm not, I can't. You know, I'm, I'm I would carry a chainsaw just for those incidents but it dawned on me that i've traveled a lot around this weird globe that we live in uh, and i and actually the rules of the road change wherever you go and you can go to remarkably busy cities that function very well and politely and they don't acknowledge each other because there's so much chaos going on that actually if you said thank you or acknowledged every little gesture you'd probably confuse them on the wheel because you know you'd imagine being in rome and saying thank you to everyone or you know you, you wouldn't be able to function but that, so it's, it is possible to be courteous to your other road users without saying thank you the whole time. Maybe it's a body language. Maybe if, if someone didn't say thank you to me, but they, I could see they were smiling, maybe that would offset it. Yes. But with, with blacked out windows, so rarely you can't see the fizzog of yeah. your adversary until they're almost right next to you, at which point they've not said thank you and you want to go. But, but a, you, nod, a nod is a thank you. You can just. It is. It is. Yeah, but do you it, think there's car language, though, also that says thank you, though, Chris? Yeah, I think I, you know, I agree with somewhere you. like Rome, yeah. not, not even with the flashing light, you just know someone's just backed off very slightly so you come into that roundabout. You know, that, that, that's yeah. a kind of lovely thank you. Yeah, I agree. I think you can, you know, like Nigel Mansell, you can present your car in a certain way that makes <laughs> it... Makes, it's, it's, it's actually, it's about being passive, isn't it? I think if, yeah. you, you, if you present your car in a passive way to other exactly. people... Especially yeah. if you've got a big motor car and you're a man, it's quite a nice thing to do rather than to to, to bully people. But I do find it quite baffling. And and sometimes I one of the games I play with myself is if if let's say I'm making a bit of time down the outside lane of the motorway or lane three as we're supposed to call it, um, and someone 
I cannot understand why someone is either sitting in the middle lane or they're just sitting in the outside lane on an empty motorway. Once they've got out the way, and I won't be flashing them or anything, I'll just, once they've gone, I'll sometimes just drive by the side of them and just look across for a while. Yes, I'll, sit, I'll do that. You can sit there for 10 minutes and they will not even be aware yeah. that you're there. Yeah. That reminds you that a lot of people are using 110% of their processing power just to stop that vehicle crashing. <laughs> and they don't have anything left over yeah. for courtesy or anything. They're just or basically, anything. they are just shitting themselves that they have yeah. to <laughs> And yeah. then you have to yourself of that. No, I'm yeah. saying I've said this, I've said this in a text and I will say it again. I think we are definitely quintuplets separated at birth. Because I just share all of this, the kind of the fury of it, the idea that someone sits in front of you, they get out of their way, you're furious, then you realize they're literally holding onto their steering wheel for dear life. They don't have a clue that you're there. But my my little flip on this is, can you imagine people with shopping trolleys in a supermarket behaving as they do when they've got cars? I mean, can you just imagine you're just heading towards aisle 13 and someone just cuts you the fuck up? Heading for the Omo, you know, you're just like what? Why? Or you just, or you, or you just back off at the end of an aisle. Or Omo, can come past, and they just sort of go. The brand, <laughs> the brand manager of Omo is. <laughs> I don't wrapping themselves right now. I want to see. Can we, can we, can we fill you full of rosé and send you off to a large waitrose and just watch what happens? <laughs> There's a co-op in St. Moore. I'm going to go. You come out security in shackles because you've because you've accosted someone by the new chocolate fucking sponges. <laughs> You're heading towards a checkout and someone cuts you up. Or yeah. you see someone with just one item in their bag and oh. you pull up. So no. you let them through, you yeah. let them through, and they give you the... I think supermarket etiquette is another conversation, probably. Some of it's quite similar. Some of yeah. quite similar. That's, that's what I think. I just think, I think there's lots that happens in supermarkets yeah. that happens on motorways. And the fact is you're not enclosed in your two-ton aluminium and leather thing. And it allows you not to get away with it. But I'm just saying, yeah. if people behave yes. in supermarkets as they do on roads, I think there may be many a fist fight, you know, leg yeah. of diamond straight over your head, you know? Like, I, there's something, I think there's something discerning about the people who would watch this podcast who are thinking about, because I've just thought about what you've been saying a moment ago, Monkey. When, if we take ourselves from out of a British road scenario, so when I was in Zandvoort in the Netherlands about a month ago, and for the first two, three years I was there, I was, commuting across the south of Amsterdam to the west where Zandvoort is, right out on the coast. About an hour, and there's a massive number of motorways and junctions there. And I was, first day, I was really struck by, crikey, they bloody make progress. And if there's a gap, they use it. They don't make a fuss about it. They don't screech into it. They don't flash lights. They don't try that last minute, or oh, shall I, shan't I? They just move into it. There's no road rage. There's no everybody's in on the deal. And what I'd like to think is that the people, you know, ourselves and the people who watch this podcast, all of whom are very discerning judgment judges of what works where we found ourselves instantly. We picked up the rules. So we didn't get irritated. Didn't get, mm. if somebody calls, Hey, I left, I left literally 10 centimeters too much. And somebody took it and said, Hey, you, you left space. I'm going to take it. Cool. It was fine. So I think it's interesting how the rules do differ. 
but you've just got to go with them, learn them and go with them and it all works. That was great. That's a good point. If you, if, and maybe part of my frustration is I feel that because this is a very international country, there's a lot of people that come here having learned to drive in other countries and they logically continue driving according to their, their rules yeah, and their, their yeah. customs and they're not quite the same as ours. I think that's true, particularly on undertaking, which is my, my other, I, I just, I know we discussed it before. I just can't abide undertaking. Hate it. It's against the it's against the law. Don't do it. Yeah, you you wait. You don't undertake. But I think there's there's a ton of it goes on now, right? I I would never never do that. No. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, hope you didn't come to Nurburgring with me and Mr. Cooper. Hang on. Um, So uh, we are now going to share with you. And I really don't know where this is going to go. And I wonder whether at least one of us has never done this before. Mm. Um, hitchhiking. Mm. Share a story about hitchhiking, preferably one that's not too dark. Um, Chris Cooper. Well, how many of us have actually hitchhiked? This Mummy nice, said nice. never get in a car with someone else. It'd be a nice short feature. Two short short stories. So in the late eighties, when I was a student, people hitchhiked because that's how you got about. I had a car, but it was a bit of a shitbox and never worked. And somebody then stole the wheels. I had a nineteen sixty seven Mini Cooper with mini light wheels, which are worth twice the rest of the car. And some bastard nicked the wheels. So I spent most of my final year hitchhiking. And my then sort of girlfriend was at university in Aberystwyth. Felicity, or Facility, as my friends called it, which I didn't find very funny or endearing at the time. Now I think it's fucking hilarious. Um, so I used to hitchhike between Portsmouth and Aberystwyth. And I thought it was fantastic. It was a real adventure. It was really, because you had no understanding. You sort of, you had to be quite ballsy, because you had to basically stand at the side of the road. It was in Portsmouth, Neil. I mean, you might have driven past me and not given me a lift. Who knows? I'd probably rise if it was a yellow Mark One Escort. <laughs> Didn't see that. No, you would have stopped for me. So you have to go to the top of the Eastern Road in Portsmouth, um, just on the A27M. I think A27M there rather than M27, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, uh, near Haven. Near Haven, yeah, that side of the island. And basically stick your thumb out and you just wait and see what happened. And I... There are two stories kind of dim, both coming back from Wales the other way. So I had one coming back... first Because you'll take... 15, 20 hitches to get the distance there. It took a long time because people were going like five miles or 10 miles. And you take what you get. Two two of those stink, <laughs> stick in my memory. One was coming back from Wales. There was a guy who's, uh, he was a colleague of, this shows my age, of, he was a colleague, a former British Leyland worker, a colleague of the guy who became known as Red Robbo. Oh, Really? Red Robbo. So Red Robbo was the union leader, convener in Longbridge. Um, he made Ken best... Livingston look like Margaret Thatcher, didn't he? He yeah, was, he was the memoir of Michael Edwards, who, yeah. which also shows my age. He was a South African guy brought in by Maggie. Massive ears. To Massive. sort out the <laughs> British Leyland, as then was. So he picked me up, and I don't know how he got, because part of the deal of hitchhiking was, you kind of got to sing for your supper. You can't just sit there and say nothing. So you say, thanks very much. You know, talk about the car for a bit and said, okay, well, where, where have you been and where are you going? And 
what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a student. And this guy told me he's a car worker. And he said, are you one of those student types? I said, well, I, I am actually. He said, and he launched into something about student fees and all this kind of thing because there was a debate about whether they should or shouldn't be. I was a student. We had fees paid for. And just get quickly on to the British student strikes because he was driving a Peugeot and he was very embarrassed by driving a Peugeot and got into strikes. And he got really, really animated. And I sort of said, well, I, well what about seeing this few and, you know, competition from Europe and Japan and so forth? And he only chucked me out. I mean, he'd stopped. <laughs> I mean, he stopped. He didn't just open the car and eject me on the M4 going past Newport. Um, but I, it was very interesting. And I thought you never get that totally random, throat forced together relationship and debate. In that same journey, I was on the outskirts of Newbury before they built the whole of the... 34. Yeah. Uh, so outskirts of Newbury and going to trying to get towards Winchester and then before the old all the M3 was built. And somebody in I might say before, somebody in a 928, it must have been an S2, pulled up. It was a doctor. We've, we've had this one before. And I just thought that was amazing. Just and doctor. so doctor. I went from Red Robbo's best mate. In between there was some bloke who literally didn't want to stop and let me out. And I was scared yes, the, I, when, I, when you use that lovely phrase sing for your supper how far did that go chris <laughs> um it saved me the petrol money <laughs> as as that. Oh, God. Did, you, did you used to wear trousers with knee pads <laughs> thankfully not i um, must have looked two home counties not yeah, interested okay. in that kind of I stuff. Home counties, okay. But I, I, I do. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll get through uh, my experiences this very quickly. I've lived a very privileged, sheltered life. I'd never done any hitching at all until I ended up some school in Africa, and I didn't have a car, any money, and I was seventy miles from anywhere. So to get into town on a weekend to go and have a beer or you know meet someone that was vaguely my age, um, I used to just stand on the highway and, and hitch into this town. And um, I got really used to it because in that part of Africa, it was all buckies. So what you do is you didn't have to have the conversation. You could lie in the flatbed out the back with, uh, I used to have a duffel bag with my overnight stuff. And I would, and you could just lie in the flatbed and just look at the African sky. It was lovely. Yeah, and I yeah. did this. Week. It, sky in the world. it became so peaceful. It was basically a straight road for 60 miles, quite well paved. And I got so accustomed to it until one day I remember thinking that hurts and I don't feel very well. And, it was, and I looked around and realised I was still in the back of the bucky, but we were no longer moving. And we'd hit something called a kudu. A now, kudu? Now, yeah. If you bucky look gazelle. at what a kudu is, I like an antelope. It's, it's a, basically a cow with horns. The thing is, yeah. these things are fucking huge. Um, the kudu was, was still moving. It got up and, and sort of staggered off into the bush around the felt, where I suppose it probably expired after that. But this bucky was absolutely Donald ducked. And the driver who I'd barely spoken to, I now realised I was stuck by the side of the road with a large sort of Dutch farmery type who I didn't really know what his provenance was, but he was he was probably sort of, you know, 73 on, a, on an M, and I didn't know what he was about. And, uh, and I had no means of getting away from there or mo- no mobile telephone. I did suddenly, you know, I had seen Deliverance, and I thought, crikey, this could end badly. Luckily, a bus stopped um, and, and scooped us both up. But I, I have to say that was the last time I hitched because I didn't I, I got so used to doing it, it was so blissfully easy. And then when yeah. it went wrong, I did poop myself. Have you ever picked anybody up, Chris? Yeah, lots of times. I, I yeah. tell you why. 
I, without I, paying I, for it, Chris. Oh yes, here we go. Fanar, fanar. Although that's probably an obvious gag to ask me. I, 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 I take that one on the chin. I tell you why I did. It's because several times I would, I would see um, guys holding trade plates, delivery drivers. Because I used to, if you, yeah. if you're a journalist and you've had lots of cars delivered to your house. Mm. If you can't give the guy a lift to the nearest station because you're working or you're away, you're aware of the fact they've got an awful day ahead of themselves. Their yeah. day through it. So if I can, I will always pick someone up with a trade plate. But if you notice, there's let fewer and fewer very people few. around now with very, trade very few, very very few. I I used to pick people up for the same reason. I thought I, it's kind of a favour you've got to pass down the line. Yep. And it's yep. a bit like the small favours in the thank I've you. Never the, done it. Actually. Yeah, you got to pass it down the line. Although you see very few people hitching now. I remember once I was driving through Scotland with my then, actually with, um, with facility. Facility. We were driving through Scotland on a camping holiday. And there were two, it was pissing down race, somewhere in the Trossachs. Banar. You were with facility in the Trossachs. In the Trossachs. That's <laughs> literally not made up. And there were two, there were two, it was two very, very bedraggled figures at the side yeah, of the road. <laughs> somewhere between, I could make up places now, but my friends, I'm Scottish, so I can't do this. Um, that would think I'm taking the piss. Um, but there were two very betraggled figures in this ooning rain. And uh, Felicity said, we ought to stop for them. And I said, oh, I was really reluctant. So I, anyway, I pulled over and stopped. And these two figures pulled off their hoods. One looked like Anna de Armas. The other one looked like Margot Robbie. At which point, Felicity wound her window up and I pushed open the back door. Yeah. And yeah. Listen, I didn't last much longer after that. <laughs> right. We're now moving on to this week's two-car two car garage, um, which I'm going to read out because uh, it's on my telephone because I've actually been organised this week. You have arrived at that time in life when your children still have a few years left at school. It's a school at which some parents drive very expensive, flashy cars. You don't have the budget to compete with this nonsense, nor do you want to. One evening, you sit down with your kids and you decide to change your current rather boring two-car garage for machines that will make you feel good in the school car park for all the right reasons. You have £45,000 to make other parents smile, but also to ensure the family can move around safely and quickly. This is two vehicles for £45,000. Chris Cooper's got all sorts of questions. He's going to query whether I've been clear enough. So he's going to go last. Neil Clifford, what's your answer? I don't know whether I'm going to make them smile, but I think I'm going to make them hopefully think he's cool. So I've gone down the cool angle, not the smiling angle, because smiling angle is just an old beetle with a flower on the dashboard. But I'm not really doing that. I want to I want to do a bit of cool. And I think it's a brilliant bloody two car garage because we've all been in this situation with the the McCanns are queuing up and those fucking godforsaken Volvos, hundreds of them, and you want you do want to stand out a little bit without looking a bit of a tit. And I would I've chosen two cars that I still have the eczema itch for, so I would still go and buy these cars today, and I still look at them on collecting cars and other websites are available of cars for sale. The first one I would buy is an E36 M3 Evo Cabriolet. Yeah. Because I just think it's just the most undervalued, bloody cool car. And you'd, you'd go and get, because you've got 45 grand here, and my second car is not so expensive-ish. So you'd get the best one, low mileage, I don't know, carbon black, 
saffron leather, yeah. factory nice. hard top, 45,000 miles, full history, not been sort of knackered in slough. The leather all looks decent. It's been beautifully, perfectly looked after by the first or second owner, original plates, original rear window sticker, you know, original stereo. Brilliant. And what a car. For like, what, 20 grand maybe now? I know they were cheaper for maybe 25 grand for the best, best, best one. So I'd get that because everyone needs, if you've got a two-car garage, you've always basically got to have a cabriolet. And then I'd be like, okay, what do I go for? I've had these before, but not this this model. An early 928. I just think that 1976 car of the year, you know, when they were all boring cars and the Panda and the... I'd be a nerd here. Wasn't it 77? Mm. 76 was the Rover SD1. Is it 77? I love this podcast. I'd be, I I'd, love I'd be, podcast. I'd be impressed if you're right on that. I'm sure you are right. Um, 77, 76. I mean, the one I really remember was Uno, which was 83, which was when I was on the YTS scheme. So I'm happy for to be to, to, to bow to you on 77. But an S1, manual, of course... Um, cloth, semi-cloth, whatever Pasha. that. Pasha, Pasha is what I'm looking for. You'd ideally want, I don't know, oak green with tan with Pasha. Um, pretty difficult to find unless it's left-hand drive because they were all that in Germany. And you just what an amazing. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when that car came out. Sadly, what an amazing car. Still looks modern. One of the best dashboards. The fact that the whole binnacle moves. Those big submarine quality nuclear B-52 knobs that are never, ever going to break. The sound of that central locking button, which is just like the, you know, the Lloyd's insurance company. Is it vacuum operated? Oh, you know, I know the, you know, the S2 was better because it was 4.7 and it was a bit gutless in a 4.5 and all that. But I think it's just the purity of the first car and... I don't know whether people would think that they would be happy, but they would hopefully think I was cool. Your kids would be pissed off, though, because they're obviously there's only two years till they finish school. Oh, and, and, and unless they're about three foot, they were not going to fit in the back, are they? They don't want to be with you anyway. Pit, put oh, them it, was 19, it was 1978, not 77 or 76. Yeah, I and thought. it wasn't the rare SD1 in 76 either. I've just looked I it up. I thought we'd been really good nerds there. We've been bad nerds. Shit. <laughs> right, uh, Manish, what's your two-car garage? Oh, that is the coolest ever two-car garage to follow. So, <laughs> that's a, so um, this is a little bit... There is a bloke who drives to my son's school in a pista quite often, and it's really irritating because it's very loud and it's very red and... It's just not a very nice car to follow at school. So I decided what I would do is be very slightly practical and then very, very slightly cool with the second choice. So <clears throat> my son's a cricket player. His mates are cricket players. We have a dog. So the first one has to be an estate. It has to be a cool estate. The kind of estate that um, you turn up and they go, hmm, is that new? What is that? And I think the BMW 320i Touring, the petrol one, 180 horsepower. Yeah. 
from 2019. It's a beautiful looking car. You could yep. get one of those in graphite with leather and all the bits and pieces. And I actually found one on a rival website. I had a look at collecting car. I couldn't see it, but it was £20,000, which I just could not believe. £20,000 was such a lot of car for that money. Yeah. And you will definitely get two or three cricket bags in the back. And um, my son's now six, one and a half, and his mates aren't that much smaller. You will get three boys like that and three cricket bags in. So I think that's the that's the the daily. And then I did find a rather beautiful. I I don't even know what the blue is. It's 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 like an almost like a teal greeny blue, Audi S3 TFSI Quattro two door, nice. three hundred horsepower convertible absolutely stunning looking thing 28,000 miles 25,000 pounds and that absolutely sheds the inner accountant in me because <laughs> <laughs> all Indians are basically either accountants or doctors so I think you turn up in one of those with a pair of glasses like Niels and you just look good you just look good it just we've got we've gone 320i touring S3. Pragmatic, but he's covered most bases there. Edward Lovett, why don't you undo all of his good work and give us your ludicrousness? Fine. I've got four. Well, the reason I've got four is the first two, I went into the collecting cars sold section. And, you know, I did take this seriously, Chris. And obviously you want um, some, need some practicality. And as Neil said, I think with a two car garage, one of them, the roof's got to come off. So and yep. and obviously I want to make the other parents smile um, in the car park. So the first one's a military Humvee, um, H one, H an H one, yeah, but a, a military one because they're they're dirt they're dirt cheap, and I just think that you know that that's cool, um, very different to all the you know the flashy Volvos or whatever. And the the other one is a gold metallic Cadillac. Eldorado. If that doesn't make them smile and love me and my children, I don't know I what like will. Eldorado is going to make them smile. Oh, and come on, that, is, that massive boat like that turning up at Eton. <laughs> oh, no, that would be so I have to say, that is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're cool. And, and I'm going to give you the other two, but this, this smile is not really a smile... It's more of a laughing at you. So, but the first one's not. And this actually, we made a mistake last week with the Q cars. We missed one. We missed a really good one, which is the R sixty three AMG. Oh, um, yeah. That that's kind of a cool. Um, and and we just sold one recently and for like twenty two grand. So that that that's a, that's a cool car to have. But that's obviously not going to make the parents smile at you. Not going to spot um, it. But obviously, on a sunny day, when you bring the drop the kids off at school in your Evoke convertible, oh no, that, no. that's that's going to make them laugh at you <laughs> just yeah. with, with a smile. Have they, have they stopped making it? Haven't they? It, it, it didn't sell well. Weird. I hope so. No shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Mister C. I could see you in an Evoke convertible wearing that shirt. You must be fucking joking. I never swear on this, but. But you, you know that thing about the gar- you know the, the the basement at BMW with the cars that they never yeah. built. The Evoque should be in a sub basement. Yeah, yeah. It should be like a low right. level lower, like a Dante's Seventh Inferno. Yeah. 
Anyway, we have a room Eldorado one, convertible. We have a room 101 for the cars that we hate. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do that. Let's have a room 101. Uh, now, at this moment, I should hand over to Chris Cooper, but I'm going to go next because we're going to leave him till last because he's got some serious questions uh, to ask around the the scenario I posed. So let's leave him just to sweat there for a minute and he can simmer on his, um, his thoughts. Uh, I've gone very, very simple here. So... I've always thought that if you're in amongst people with lots and lots of money that want to demonstrate how rich they are, you need to be the contrarian and go a bit further the other way. But that does sometimes cause difficulties because all the cool stuff is becoming expensive now. So you can't just find something for a thousand pounds. But I, I reckon that if there was a, if it was a car park full of fancy blacked out Range Rovers and the occasional Ferrari Aston Martin, if you turned up in a Citroen Mahari, everyone's going to look at you and smile and think that you're probably quite a nice person, um, which in my case would be an absolute lie. But actually, I do believe there's something about the Mahari that's maybe even more joyous than a 2CV. So I'd have a Mahari uh, with a bikini top, which is utterly pointless in the in the rain. But they're about 20 grand now, those things, which which is a basically a, it's a piece of preformed plastic with a 2CV engine in it. How there's so much money, I don't know. My other car, I thought about this, because I might have been in one of these scenarios recently. And I think that in amongst all of those massive slabs of Midlands-based SUV and um, G-Wagons and everything else, there was someone turned up the other day in a Mark 7.5 Golf GTI with clear glass in dark blue, manual, with cloth seats. And it just looked spectacularly fine. It just looked reserved it, it was it, this person wasn't trying to say anything about themselves but they inadvertently told us that they were a legend <laughs> and i just thought it was great and that's my car i just think they are it, the golf gti remains the vehicle you can park anywhere in any situation and you'll be okay yeah uh, and so i'm afraid i'm rather boring like that now mr cooper first of all get it off your chest so um you kind of half answered it actually in what you said because and because I know this is yours, and I think we can all identify with a bit of this, I thought we, we all know, without naming the establishments, um, we can all think about those schools where big, blunt four-by-fours are driven badly by one or other of the parents. And <laughs> I, I kind of think, do you want to make them smile? They're not really one of us. And that's that contrary view. And I thought, I kind of, I want to feel good about it, but I, you know, I, I'm ambivalent about whether they're going to smile about it because mm-hmm. that's fair. there's too many of them. Um, too many of them will, well, they'd only smile if, if it was inferior and there it reinforces their superiority. <laughs> and that's, that's just, I, I don't do politics or anything social in, in any sort of way, but that's, that's as close as I'll ever get to it. So I kind of thought, so I solved for, and I emphasised um, the bit about it makes you feel good in the school car park for all the right reasons. That's what's important here. Yep. And it's your you feeling good and your kids feeling good and your kids feeling, Dad, you've done the right thing for the right reasons for us. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And I think that's a really, really, I feel quite strongly about that. So, um, and, and you said, you know, you sat down one evening with your kids. And, I, and you know, so I, I actually finished away on holiday. So Cameron and I have discussed this the last two days. And we've been all around the houses. And we had one combination, which was a, a 2008 C63 wagon clear glass OBS 
or and a TV on Griffiths. Because you're right, actually, I think it's a really interesting thing. I think Edward, you said it earlier on. A two car garage, one of them's got to be an open top. Yeah, I don't know well, why. We all think that, but we all think that. I think that's really, really important. Um, and then we went to a debumpered, a debumpered. So it would have to be a chrome bumpered, but debumpered MG midget with a super duper engine. In oh, it. lovely, lovely. Yeah. Which would be, it would make you feel good. Some people might get it, but hey, who cares? Yeah. Um, and then we looked at other stuff that you would feel good about, you know, 2018 BMW 540, 27K, huge amount of car for the money. Uh, but we ended up with two things. Um, and I've always wanted one of these. Um, I know we all love it. Um, E39 M5. Yeah. Clear glass. E39 M5. About a really nice one, 35. I mean, collecting cars has had a really nice run on some of them. And he, I could I could have bid for any of those that are in the sold section. They all look lovely. 35, 40 grand. Um, and what to have is a cool convertible that you'd feel good about. And if you've got more than one child, you kind of need a two plus two. So um, um, one of my colleagues now used to be a Jaguar Land Rover um, design engineer, sort of um, engineering manager. And he worked on the XK8 project. And the XK8 convertible. Remember that sort of, was it Jeff Lawson? He was the chief designer then before Ian Callum. And the XK8, when it originally arrived, had that sort of, the track looked ridiculous. It, the track was far too narrow for the body, and there's quite a lot of gap between the wheels and the arches. bit too E-type-ish. It's a bit E-type-y, though, in a good way, I think, now. Yeah, well, I, exactly. Hmm. So we found a 97, normally aspirated, 4-litre V8 for about seven and a half grand. No! Great car, that. So British an M5, big glass. Went in at Auto Car Magazine was one of those. Say again? First car I ever had a ride in with Sutcliffe was one of those at Auto Car. Yeah. They're the really J-Gate. nice cars. They're J-Gate transmission. Cars. It's an XJ, it's a rebodied XJS with a J. It's a rebodied XJS. Yeah. It's a really good car. Yeah. So like M5 and a, so my, my conundrum on it was, who are you going to make happy? I, to be I, I think, as ever, I phrased it poorly. I think no, you didn't at all. That's why it's interesting. That's why it's interesting. I think there's there's something there's also a smugness about knowing that other people in those situations have spent an awful lot of money to stand out, and you might be able to turn up having spent what their what their carpets were worth in their cars, and everyone's yeah, basically. Don't, don't you think there's a terrible irony in spending loads and loads of money to stand out and all turning up in black Range Rovers? <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a there is a kind of terrible. Yeah. Bizarre, isn't it? The fact it's like it's like a uniform. It's just a black suit. It is. Yeah. Right. Let's move on to some music because I need to go and get my son a pizza because I'm on day duty at the moment. Um, I'm cooking tuna. Before are you? And before we do that, I want to show you something that I bought on Amazon. I've always wanted to buy one of those little telephones that they smuggle into prisons, and I bought one. This is a telephone. (laughs) It's a burner phone. Look at that. Look at the size of that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. where are you going to put that well, i need to go to prison now and you need to send it to me so if it works or not because i've got the phone but i need to do this i need to do this i was going to say that telephone. shouldn't be hard Chris, how will you get that into prison with a bottle of vaseline <laughs> what, what's the telephone what's the telephone to, number on it i'll call you now it, i'm going to give it to my uncle manish so he can smuggle it in and you text the number to us <laughs> They're called burner. Anyhow, sorry, music. Right. Um, 
Edward Lovett, you, you do me to man with it. Yeah. Uh, my my music for this week is uh, Razor Lights Up oh. All Night. Okay. Good night. Good, great tune. Great tune. Um, Manish, come on, make us feel cultured. Um, quite the opposite, actually. Um, we have an intern in our office who's incredibly bright. He's 19 years old. He will be studying politics and history next year. And his superhero is Neil Clifford. Um, and the reason why Neil Clifford is a superhero in music is he's really started to discover as a 19-year-old all of that 90s music, Neil. And he's every week he just whacks his lyrical about whatever you pick. And it's just got him, over the last four months, he's just discovered oh, good man. the music that we had when we were in our 20s, basically, in our mid-20s. So I, I wasn't a great aficionado of that sort of period, you know, everybody knows Blair, Oasis, blah, blah, blah. But there was a piece of music I remember that really grabbed me to the point where I even bought the bloody CD single, single and it was Space Neighbourhood in 1996. Do you remember that song? In my beautiful neighbourhood? And um, it's incredible. Liverpudlian band. And it just had literally, it is about a... Excuse me. Bless you. It, it it is about a scummy neighbourhood in um in in Liverpool that they're going to ultimately knock down. It's supposed to be a little essay about um what was going on in England at the time. And here are my two favourite lyrics from it. In six six six, there lives a Mister Miller. He's our local vicar and a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other classic Liverpudlian line is. In 999, they make a living from crime. The house is always empty because they're all doing time. <laughs> it's just a genius song. A genius song. The video costs 50p to make. It's just beautiful. Um, that's lovely. Uh, Neil Clifford, make sure you make sure you continue your education for the intern in manager's office. I've met him. Yeah, no, I, I was 100% guy. convinced you were going to say, and his hero is Neil Diamond. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit taken about with uh, Neil Clifford. Anyway, my, my, I'm going to be give, give me a minute of being slightly sort of deep and philosophical, philosophical here. Um, Pre-COVID, if my daughter said, Dad, do you want to come and see Harry Styles with me at Wembley? I would have said, oh, forget it. You know, I don't want to come and see Harry Styles. Go with your mum or something. I'm I'm too busy. But you know what? I said, absolutely, darling, I'm going to come with you because, A, I can see 60,000 people with their shoes and handbags. But also, why wouldn't you do it? Because it's just a fun thing to do. And this is a, Harry Styles is a man that drives around Hampstead and Highgate in a yellow convertible E-type. So he loves cars. And, it you know, he, he is our Elvis, he is our... Um, what is he? Justin Timberlake, Robbie. Yeah. You know, he's the man of. He's, there's always in every era an adorable man that's super handsome that can sing and dance and be wonderful, and he is the current one. And you know what? And can act. Yeah, and can act. And you know what? And got brilliant hair. And of course, people with no hair always have incredible hair jealousy. And <laughs> you know, we were all jealous of Harry Styles' hair. But you know what? It was just a positive, wonderful, fantastic, joyful night and you think about what our kids have been through with fucking covid and lockdown and shitty gcses like my kids and not doing their a levels and working from schooling from home and 
a war in Europe and all this shit that then comes out of the BBC, which is like negative the whole bloody time to be away from all of that and see these 50,000 amazing young people having the most wonderful night and helping their mental health and their anxiety and just being fucking cheerful. I thought it was great. And he's got a song called keep driving and it's magic about a long, long car trip and the stuff that goes on. And we should all love Harry Styles and just love the joy that it brings to young people. Yeah. Well, I'm a total convert as well. I just think he's, he's cool. underestimate the magic he's of pop cool. artists. They just, they can be, yeah. they can be wonderful. He's right. Um, Chris Cooper. Glastonbury. Mm. Can't go through music this week without thinking about Glastonbury. So a bit like you monkey with the Isle of Man TT. Um, Somebody who I know quite well was at Glastonbury this weekend, in fact, wife of a good colleague and pal of mine down here, was at Glastonbury with a few of her friends, one of whom was Edward's mother in a motorhome at Glastonbury. Party! That's cool. That's cool. And um, so I ended up watching quite a bit of Glastonbury on the TV and thinking about Rick Astley and how far his journey's come (laughs) And how amazing he must He's feel being on. And I read a bit about him this week. He said, you know, 20 minutes before he was due to be on stage on Sunday morning, I think, there was nobody there. 5 to 11 or 12, whenever his slot was, suddenly there were 80,000 people in the field and he was just blown over by it. Um, and I thought about this song and this this artist because somebody who's close to our family suffers from the same affliction, Tourette's affliction. And it's an extraordinary song. And there was an extraordinary moment at Glastonbury where this artist in front of an enormous crowd who had enormous love and goodwill for him realised that he was having, you know, an event, an attack of Tourette's. And... He was clearly very, very torn between being embarrassed um, because we all grew up with the sort of the cartoonish, and it's not like that. And my person that I know, young lady, who is dealing with it, and she's working really hard to deal with it, and she's working incredibly hard at school and is having fantastic sporting success in her rowing. Um, and it was an amazing moment. And so my song for this week, is by Lewis Capaldi, and it's someone who loved you. He's a legend. Brilliant. I have no idea what it's like to stand up on a stage with that many people watching you and then suddenly realising you can't function. Um, oh, that's, yeah. It was a beautiful moment, wasn't it? Everyone was singing, people were sitting on other, other Sorry, people's shoulders, yeah, yeah, yeah. singing yeah. along, and just, you know, just took him through it. It was beautiful. Um, I'm afraid I haven't got a, a good story to go with this beyond the fact that about 10 years ago, maybe more, I was looking on YouTube at videos of uh, early DTM because I'm sad. And uh, that's what I was doing before I went to bed. Uh, and there was a brilliant montage video of, of some DTM cars. Many would have seen it. It's a fantastic load of clips of, um, you know, great names like Outsons and going further back than that, all the big names. And it's, there's, they used to do sprint races at the Nordschleife. And the, the opening shot is of a car jumping to this piece of 
pop music that couldn't sound more 80s by a German band. Now, I speak a bit of the old German, and I can't understand a word of this song because it's in something called Kölnisch, which is a Cologne dialect of German that is impenetrable to most German speakers. It's by a band called BAP, B-A-P. Um, that's a B for Brenda. And it's called Verdamp Lang Herr. Uh, and I will will write it down for you. It is the, it's the finest 80s synth pop song ever written <laughs> by a German group. And I have it on every playlist. And I listen to it at least once a week. I absolutely adore it. It's just freaking brilliant. It's got tempo. It's got drive. Reminds you that there's some great German pop music out there. It's not just craft work. Um, so, yeah, get a bit of a damp lang hair down you this week and you're going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so have a um, have a great week. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you very much to my panel of Defender-loving lunatics, uh, Manish Pandey, Neil Clifford, Chris Cooper and his bottle of rosé, and, uh, of course, Edward Lovett. And uh, we will see you and hear from you next week. Bye.